things would get pretty nasty. And they may yet. Who knows? How long are we going to put up with this stuff, folks? This is demonic, satanic activity. The devil is pro-death and he'll kill us any way he can. Whether it's by abortion, which they call women's health care. Or transgenderism, which they call gender-affirming care. Are you uh, feeling righteously indignant? You should be. And if it's just too graphic for you, I'm sorry. But, you know, how many people are getting offended that their kids are being sent to schools where they're being told by their teachers, Bobby, are you sure you don't feel more like Susie? Because we can help you with that. Susie, are you sure you don't feel more like Bobby? Because we can help you with that. And by the way, in the second part, you'll get to something that I've seen over and over again with different people that have been interviewed. The schools, the administration, the school counselors, they are intimidating parents into getting their kids transitioned because they will ask them, would you rather have, if, you're, if, you're, if it's a son, would you rather have a dead son or a living girl? They threaten the parents that if they don't go through with this, their child is likely to commit suicide. And yet the fact of the matter is, many of these kids commit suicide after the transition. And if the Christians are too gutless to stand up for this, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to stir up. We started off last week in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. But this sounds like the ideal church to me, but then we get to verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That's something we don't want to ever hear from the Lord, do we? I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. We talked about this last week with Peter saying that above all, love one another fervently. That's the pinnacle. That's the peak. Unconditional love, self-sacrificing love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, those works that were undergirded and motivated by agape, God's love, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I would propose that there are many churches today in which the lampstand has been removed. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. Pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd calm our hearts, Lord, because I don't know about anyone else here today, but that video gets me very, very upset, and I think it's for all the right reasons. So we ask for your peace, your calmness, and your Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Not to mention, as Tucker says in the video, where's the money coming from and who is it going to? Uh, your insurance premiums are affected by all this. Your tax dollars are going for satanic, demonic purposes. You do realize that, right? That should bother you too. And yet, okay, I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta stop. 
Okay, so I want to look here. Now, we read Revelation where the Ephesian church, which in every other regard was an amazing church, exactly the kind of church that I hope we are. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. We just looked at some of that evil. But they lost the one key element, their first love, their love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not that they didn't believe in Jesus, but it wasn't like it was when they started out. And so we go to Matthew 24, 10. I'm going to read from the NIV and then from the New King James. Here it is in the NIV. At that time, and this, is, this entire passage of Matthew 24, as you probably know, is about the last days, the end times. The disciples asked Jesus to tell them what to look for as far as when he would return. He said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith I don't think you can turn away from the faith unless you first embraced the faith. What do you think? Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. I guarantee you there's probably people under the umbrella of the church that if they know me at all or see what I do here, they probably hate me. And we've seen a lot of them walk out over the years. Okay? And Jesus said it would happen. They will betray and hate each other. Those who turn away from the faith are going to hate those who stay in the faith. And uh, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We've talked about some of those folks. I'll graciously not mention their names today. Because of the increase of wickedness, hello, are we seeing an increase in wickedness? You know, people will always come out with this argument, well, there's always been murder, there's always been rape, there's always been theft, there's always been homosexuality. And that's true because man has a sinful nature. But the Bible clearly states that in the last days all these things will increase. It will be worse than it's ever been before. There's this misconception, this fallacy that sin is just static. It's not static. It doesn't stay level or even. The more we indulge in it, the more we embrace it, the worse it gets. And as Jonathan Kahn talks about in his latest uh, book, he might even have a newer one now, but uh, The Return of the Gods, that how his modern culture, modern society has turned its back on God it's opened up the gateway for these ancient demonic entities to come back into influencing our, our world. That's what we saw in the video, folks. There is no other explanation. People do not become this twisted and perverted without demonic influence. Do we all understand that? Okay. Jesus said that would happen. As it was in the days of Noah, the days of Lot, so many false prophets will appear to deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, or King James, New King James says lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold. So first he says many will turn away, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Does that mean you're saved by your good works? No, but it means if you're truly saved, you will stand firm to the end. You won't turn away, you won't fall away, you won't give in, you won't compromise, and the one who does that will be saved because you possess a true salvation.
Now let's look at it in the New King James. Then many will be offended. Whereas the NIV says many will turn away from the faith. New King James says many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and lawlessness will abound. Because lawlessness will abound, wickedness or lawlessness, anything that is against God's law, obviously, is wicked. And any law that's established on the basis of God's laws, like the founding documents and laws of our nation from which we've departed, that would be wickedness too. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many. Now, notice the NIV says most. The New King James says many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Again, you may find it shocking, as do I, but the word for love here is agape. That means that Jesus, in my opinion, is referring in this passage to believers who depart. Of course, Calvinism would not agree with that. Calvinism says, once saved, always saved. It's called irresistible grace, that if you're truly saved, you will never fall away, and if you fall away, you weren't truly saved. Arminianism says just the opposite. But I don't go by Arminianism or Calvinism. I go by the Word of God. And I, from what I see in the Word of God, the best answer is don't fall away. Pastor Chuck would always say, we are eternally secure in Christ. In Christ. You're fine as long as you stick with Jesus. I've never met anybody who's in a fallen away state who felt confident or comfortable or secure. From what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 24, it certainly sounds as though in the last days, many or most believers will turn, turn away from their faith from a life of love and loyalty to a life of hatred and betrayal. And whether it's many or most, it seems to be that Jesus is indicating a majority will turn away. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. These Thessalonians had been sold a bill of goods, that they had somehow missed the return of Christ. And they were very upset and very worried. Paul's trying to calm them down. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, with a big D, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. So, is it a troubling thing to recognize that many, many people are beginning to fall away from the faith? Yes. But it's also an encouraging, and, a, and a, my wife likes to say, I'm always encouraged by the most negative things. And this is one of those situations. Certainly, we don't want to see people falling away, but it is a sign that Jesus is coming soon. The day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of perdition or Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or Jeff Bezos. And I want you to notice something in that video that that gentleman pointed back to Obamacare. Is being a major turning point. You know what? 
for at least 15 years, I've been telling everybody this stuff, and people get mad, they leave the church. I said, Barack Obama may not be the Antichrist, but he will do till he comes along. And I was right. And nobody can tell me different. And then Trump comes into office, he, he undoes it, Biden gets in and opens it back up again. I'm telling you, folks, God's pro-life, Satan is pro-death. And I'm telling you, abortion is death, transgenderism is death. It's the death of the person that God created. Satan is the destroyer, the Apollyon. Now, the falling away here is the Greek word, as you can imagine, apostia. It's where we get our English word apostasy. That day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. It means a def listen to this now, it means a defection from the truth. If you defect, if you live in a communist country and you flee to one of our wonderful Western countries, then you have defected. You were a Russian, now you're not. You defected. So if you're, the apostasy is a defection from the truth, that means you once stood for the truth and now you don't. Falling away, forsake. To forsake. To forsake the faith. I want to get back to that word from Matthew 24, 10 where the King James and the New King James both use the word in place of turn away, offended. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Notice, so if we compare the two translations, NIV, many will turn away. New King James, many will be offended. Then it appears to me um, that... Jesus is equating uh, falling away with being offended. And I would propose to you that what often paves the way for a believer to fall away is some type of offense. Offended with the pastor. Offended with the pastor's wife. Offended with his kids, with his dog, with his cat. With other brothers and sisters in Christ. And even offended with God himself. Yes, do you know anybody like that? that's offended with God, they're mad at God because God didn't do what they thought he should do in the time frame that they thought he should do it. And the, this is a major problem, folks, because we live in a day and age where almost everybody's offended about everything. And you can't walk with God if you go around offended. It doesn't work. Jesus said that would happen in the last days. There would be a turning away, and the reason would be for being offended by everybody and everything, and especially offended by the truth. You ever heard somebody say something like this? Uh, I get treated better at the local bar than I do at church. Well, they say misery loves company, right? And you know what? Maybe that's true. Maybe there is more camaraderie sometimes, but... I don't believe that about this church, but even if that's true, you still have to choose not to be offended. Even if somebody is rude to you. You can leave, go to another church, thinking your problem is solved, but it's not. You've made the choice to be offended. You've taken the first step toward turning from the faith. 
Now again, we should be offended by what we saw in this video. There is a righteous anger, there's a righteous indignation, and if you go to a church and they start saying things that are blasphemous and you're offended, totally understandable, totally acceptable. Why would you want to stay there? But we talked about this last week where Peter says love covers over the multitude of sins. That's to help us, prevent us from being offended. Because we're walking in love, we're walking in agape, that unconditional love that God bestows upon us. And by the way, the same, these same words of warning that we receive from Jesus are echoed by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 6. And this definitely ties right in with the video. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Perilous, dangerous. For men will be lovers of themselves. Self-love promoted everywhere in the, in the secular world. Lovers of money. And there it was. Now, we didn't get to the whole package yet, but you're going to be shocked at how much money. He touched on, on it a little bit. But it's in the billions of dollars. So, again, oh, it's all about gender-affirming care. It's about a, a person with dis, gender dysphoria. It's health care. Abortion is health care. Tell the baby that. Tell the baby it's health care, the dead baby. That's some kind of health care, isn't it? But you know what? With abortions, with transgenderism, with all this stuff. And now I think I told you last week about the doctor. I think it was in Canada. They transitioned from abortion doctor to assisted suicide doctor because they can make more money with assisted suicide. Pfizer, Moderna, you know, all these people. Johnson & Johnson. They don't care one bit what their vaccinations do to you. It's all about the money. Lovers of money. They don't care if the plastic in your water bottle is giving you cancer. They're going to make it as cheap as possible. Remember when milk came in glass bottles and wax cartons? I guess it does still come in wax cartons, but there's an awful lot of things that uh, have become less and less healthy. Okay, moving on. I don't have time to elaborate on all this. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, hello, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, unforgiving goes hand in hand with being offended, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. So we see three things here. Lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, hence the ever-burgeoning drug culture, which is now becoming more and more legal. Again, contrary to so much evidence, you know, the old line was, well, mar marijuana is just an herb, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not harmful. But the modern strains are so potent and powerful, there have been medical studies that have showed that it can trigger psychotic episodes. Just marijuana. Not heroin, not any of these other drugs, just good old, good old marijuana. Not to mention a lot of other side effects, unhealthy side effects. 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There it is. Having a form of... Now here, here we go again. Jesus talked about a turning away from the faith. Paul in Thessalonians talks about an apostasy, apostasia, a forsaking, a defecting from. And then here, Paul writing to Timothy says, having a form of godliness, again, that sounds like church people, doesn't it? Religious people, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, denying its power to set you free from sin, denying its power to enable you to say no to the flesh and yes to God, no to the devil and yes to Jesus Christ. That's the power of God working in our lives, isn't it? And yet they deny that. We need all these other things. They got into the Adderall, and another one they were giving kids was Ritalin. Okay? I don't, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but you have a choice. You can choose to be offended by me or not. But everything that they've been doing to us for so long, it's all demonic. It's all satanic. It's all destructive. It's not accidental or coincidental. It's intentional. Okay? So again, just like with the vaccine, people tried to do the right thing. They were deceived. They were lied to. And so I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody, but we have to take the information available to us and use it to the best of our ability to make good choices and good decisions. Okay. Probably won't get through again today. Now, the key word, the title of the message is continue. 2 Timothy 2.14, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, But you must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. But you, Timothy, and that would apply to all true believers, you must continue. It's not should continue, it's a must. Continue, a key word. And three things here. One, he says to Timothy, in the things that you have learned. And if we haven't learned them, how can we continue? And that's why there's so many people who identify as Christians, but they don't commit themselves and dedicate themselves to learning, to studying, to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We do that by doing what we're doing here this morning. Additionally, on your own, spending time in God's Word. You can't continue if you don't know what to continue in. And so there are a lot of people who have some kind of a very limited basic understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done. But that's why we see so many that fall away. They are not continuing in the things that they've learned because they haven't even learned them yet. Timothy learned from his grandmother, his mother, and from his spiritual father, Paul. 2 Timothy 1.5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. One part of keeping and maintaining our first love is making sure that we pass our faith on to our children, our grandchildren, and so on. Deuteronomy 4.9, and the, and the Israelites paid a heavy price because they did not obey God in this matter. They did not take his instructions to heart. Only take heed to yourself 
and diligently keep yourself. I think we talked about this last week too. Working out our own salvation and fear and trembling. Maybe that was in Omaha, I forget. But we have a responsibility for our own spiritual maintenance. God did the heavy lifting. Jesus did the heavy lifting on the cross. But now he has entrusted us with this precious gift of salvation, of eternal life. And we are personally responsible for the oil changes and the tune-ups. Spiritually speaking. Diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. They'd seen many miracles, hadn't they, the Israelites? And lest they depart from your heart, turning from your first love, all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Why is America in the condition it's in today? Because we haven't taught them to our children and our grandchildren. And now we're reaping what we've sown or not sown. One, the things that you've learned, Timothy, two, and been assured of. I would propose that assurance comes from knowing that our sources are trustworthy and reliable. Any of the family members that are believers, for Timothy, it was his mother, his grandmother. It could be your mom, your dad, your grandma. For Timothy, it was the Apostle Paul, a pastor who's faithful and true to the Word of God. I'm not just talking about myself, but any, any pastor that is staying true to the Word of God, that's someone that you can be assured of. They're not teaching out of some psychology book. They're not teaching out of Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. Do you know that years ago when that book came out, Rick Warren was part of the Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention. He's since been removed recently for ordaining women as pastors when the Southern Baptist Convention does not allow that. But that's the least of his problems, in my opinion. But they recruited several hundred Baptist pastors across the country and gave them all the book, Purpose Driven Life. And for something like eight months or more, they taught every Sunday from that book. Does that seem right to you? Not from the Bible, but from Rick Warren's book. The things you've learned, you've been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And one of my frustrations as a pastor is when I see so many people are just saturated with teaching from men and women they don't even know. Some are good. Granted, there are some great resources on the internet, DVDs and so forth, but many are not good. CDs, DVDs, internet, TV... And some people are so saturated with all this because they, they replace being part of a local body of Christ and sitting under the teaching of a real-life in-person pastor and rubbing up against one another. We're going to get to that in a minute. Knowing from whom you've learned them. There are a lot of charlatans, a lot of shysters. Jesus said, false prophets and false teachers in the last days. Ephesians 4.11 through 15, He Himself, Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or a complete mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children spiritual children, 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And that's what's happening in many segments of the church today. People tossed to and fro. What's the latest fad? What's the newest trend? Is it, um, I forget all the terminology. Warren Smith goes into it in his books in great detail. One of them is contemplative prayer. You know, this kind of medita Christian meditation thing. And there's so many of these pet, fake, phony doctrines that float around through the church. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. So we don't want to be a part of that bad stuff. We want to be speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things to him as the head, Christ. Again, our key word is continue. We're talking about returning to our first love if we've departed. If we haven't departed, we want to hang on to it for all we're worth. But the answer is continue. Acts 2.42, they, the believers, the first century Christians, the early church in Jerusalem, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread in prayers. They continued steadfastly, firmly, with constancy or steadiness of mind. The believers in the early church were firmly focused on the things that will enable us to continue. James 1.3, oh excuse me, first point here, the apostles' doctrine. Four things that they continued steadfastly in. One, the apostles' doctrine, not the deceptive words of men who seek to lead the flock astray. James 1.3, beloved, while I was very diligent, not James, it's Jude. I got a typo here. It's Jude. Jude 1.3. Jude writes, and he was the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. He writes, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Even in the first century, there was a battle going on for those who were trying to erode, undermine, dilute, and and pollute the true Christian faith. That's why Jude wrote his one chapter letter or book. The Apostles' Doctrine. Not Joel Osteen's doctrine. Not Rick Warren's doctrine. Not any of a host of other fake, phony teachers' doctrine. The Apostles. Where do we get the Apostles' Doctrine? The Bible. What a novel idea. Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Galatians 3.1, O foolish Galatians. Yes, Paul called them foolish. Are you offended? <laughs> Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. The Galatians had been hoodwinked and duped into falling into a uh, uh, under-the-law mentality. There were Judaizers following Paul around after he would visit an area. They'd go in behind him and tell all the people that if they really wanted to be saved, they had to be circumcised, they had to follow all the Jewish laws. And Paul accuses them of being bewitched. He goes on to say, 
having begun in the spirit, do you now think you can finish in the flesh? Who has bewitched you? Folks, we all know this, but today there are many voices telling us, we need to reinvent Christianity. It's outdated. It's passe. We need to make the message palatable to the masses. And as many of you know, even within our own Calvary Chapel movement, there is a group. We now have two segments. I guess it's inevitable. We never considered ourselves a denomination, but we had a, a, a somewhat loose affiliation of almost 2,000 churches around the world under the leadership of Pastor Chuck Smith. He passed away 10 years ago now. And so then there was a, a divergence, a separation, where uh, one gentleman... <laughs> unfortunately, the one who took over Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, decided he was going to start a new group called the Calvary Global Network. I don't know about you, that sounds kind of New World Order, global, uh, it really bothers me. That's not the group we're a part of. The Calvary Chapel Association are the ones who decided we want to continue to follow the guidance and direction and teachings of our late great pastor Chuck Smith. That's the Calvary Chapel Association. But this whole idea of a Calvary global network really bothers me big time, and it bothers a lot of other guys and gals in the Calvary Chapel movement. But we're being told we've got to reinvent Christianity, make it palatable to the masses. We're being flooded with inaccurate, slanted, twisted Bible interpretations that are not true to the apostles' doctrine. We're witnessing an ever-increasing syncretism, if you're familiar with that word, that word has been used especially here in New Mexico because when the Spanish Padres came in to convert the Indians, they wound up making a compromise with the Native Americans and they allowed them to blend their Native American religion with Catholicism. It's called syncretism. Even Rick Warren at one point was endorsing um, Chrislam, which is Christianity and Islam. Chrislam. That's syncretism. And what we're seeing now in the world is a blending of Christianity, New Age thought, psychology, and universalism, which means all pathways lead to God. And many with, that would consider themselves under the umbrella of Christianity are embracing these things. So it's exactly what Jesus said, exactly what Paul said. All these Jude, they all told us 2,000 years ago what was going to happen. We have the Apostles' Doctrine. Four things that we need to continue said flat, fastly in. Second, fellowship. You can't have fellowship while sitting at home watching a church service on your computer. If that's the best I can get, I'll take it. But really, we need to be here together. You can't have fellowship by going to church once a week or less. Praise God for the option for those who are unable to attend due to health issues, financial issues, etc. But the ideal, if we want to continue, if we want to be steadfast, if we want to retain our first love or get back to it, these four things are crucial. The Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship. That's why I said a couple weeks ago, we don't have programs here. We have ministry opportunities. We have home fellowship groups, koinonia groups. We have Bible study groups, men's meetings, women's meetings, prayer meetings. All these kinds of things are what helps us to continue. Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Or one person sharpens another. 
Now, if you look at the analogy of iron sharpening iron, that means it's not always comfortable, right? It's not warm and fuzzy necessarily. But in order for us to grow and mature and to stay strong in our faith, we need to rub up against each other. Again, you can't do that by texting or emailing or phone calling. It's something that happens when believers are gathered together like the early church. In fact, as I've pointed out a number of times, they gathered every day. And we do need to rub up against each other because we're all without, we don't have a choice. We have to rub up against the world as we live in this world, as we go through life on this planet, we will rub up against this world and that can result in spiritual disease and sickness. And we need to rub up against each other to get clean, to get healthy, to get strong. The third thing, breaking of bread, remembering the body and blood of our Lord and Savior like we did just last week. Corporately and individually, you can do it at home. You can take communion anytime, place, Not as a religious act or a ritual, but as an act of fellowship. And the Greek word is koinonia, fellowship with God and with one another, sharing in the body and the blood of the Lord, not forgetting that. Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in what? Remembrance of me. The fourth thing, prayer. Last but not least of the four key elements of continuing, not just the occasional prayer offered up when we're in trouble or we need help. That's, I, I, sadly, I think that's, for, for a lot of people, that's what their prayer lives look like. Once in a while, especially when you're in trouble, but no, an active, healthy prayer life, regular, ongoing communication with God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Now that's a challenge to be sure, and we will certainly fall short, but I would even point out one of the reasons that God allows his children to go through trials and tribulations is because we pray more when we're in trouble. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's, let's be honest, okay? And he wants to hear from us. And if the only way he can get us to talk to him is by letting something difficult come into our life, he's going to let it happen. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because God wants good people to get better. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. None of us in this room ever get anxious about anything, do we? No anxiety here. And yet Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. So what, how do you keep from being anxious in anything? Be anxious for nothing. How do you do that? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Don't forget to thank God for what he's already done. Even the very air you breathe, we should be thanking him for. The breath that fills my lungs. Every day is a gift from God. So when you come to hear him with your prayers and your supplications, be sure to bring some thanksgiving with you too. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. People will ask you, how can you be so peaceful at a time like this? You've just lost a loved one. Your car engine blew up. You lost your job. Your wife left you. Your dog bit you. How can you be peaceful? Because I have the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And he promises that that will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's where the battles won or lost, folks. It's in our hearts and in our minds. If we're to maintain and continue in our first love, we need our hearts and minds to be guarded by Jesus Christ 
the author and finisher of our faith. And then we go back to that passage in Revelation where Jesus says to the, uh, the Ephesian church, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The Ephesians had fallen out of love with God. Remember how it was when you were excited, exhilarated about Jesus and his word? I hope there was a, if, if that's not the case now, I hope there was at least a time when you were. Often when, a, when you first get saved, when you're born again, you feel the weight of sin lifted off of you. I remember in those early days of the Jesus movement, there was church services and worship services and Bible studies going on just about every night of the week. All those young people like you saw in the movie, there was nothing they'd rather do than gather together to worship and study the Word of God. You, was it ever like that for you? I hope it was. I hope it still is. But remember how it was? Exhilarated about Jesus and His Word? Remember how it was when you couldn't get enough of the apostles' doctrine and you didn't need Jesus' calling and the shack and purpose-driven purpose life for those seafaring folks? That's the Mariner's edition, the porpoise-driven life. Remember how it was when you couldn't get enough of the Apostles' Doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, worship. Remember, Jesus says, repent, turn. They turned away. Not technically, not on paper, but in their hearts. Repent and do the first works. Jesus doesn't tell us don't do works. Remember last week we talked about Mary and Martha. Martha, Martha was all caught up in good works and she got mad at Mary because Mary wouldn't get up and help her. Jesus said she's chosen that best, better part, sitting at my feet, learning from me. So we're being called by God, just like the Ephesians were, to turn from our Martha ways and get back to being like Martha's sister Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing him to fill you with his agape love, and then repent and do the first works. The first works were initiated and motivated not by the Ephesians' desire to, quote, work for God, but by the abundance of his unfailing, unconditional, and sacrificial love that was work in their hearts, and that should be our goal as well. If you're right, if you're right in the groove, locked in there, praise God. I've given you the information you need to be able to continue. But for those who have fallen from their first love, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Be thankful to God that he's shown you this by the power of his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. And do what Jesus challenged the Ephesians to do. Remember and repent. Let's stand. If you have a prayer request, I'd encourage you to raise your hand now so we can pray for you. Lots and lots. Okay, that's good. Like I said, God loves to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. Father, you see each, see each person out there who's raised their hand. And Lord, you see some who did not raise their hand, but probably still need prayer. But I especially lift up to you those who did raise their hand, indicating their desire for prayer this morning. Lord, it might be for them. It might be for someone near and dear to them. And either way, that's okay. So, Lord, we lift up all those, first of all, with health issues. Lord, again, the allergies that are plaguing many right now, we pray for relief and release from that.
for colds. It's that time of year, Father. We've seen some COVID cases popping up. But Lord, as we've talked about recently, we are not to be fearful. You've not given us a spirit of fear. Lord, with you on our side, we have nothing to fear because the worst that can happen is we die and then we go to heaven, which is a promotion. But in the meantime, we do pray for healing, for, uh, for uh, torn or stretched ligaments, tendons, muscles, joints. Lord, especially as we get older, we begin to have more and more joint problems, cartilage problems. We lift them all up to you, Father, and we, we know there's a balance there that it's just a normal process of aging. But at the same time, Lord, we call upon your love, your grace, and your mercy to pour out your healing upon each and every one here that's struggling with a health issue. Lord, whether it's a minor one or a major one, we thank you that none is more difficult to you than another. Whether it's cancer, leukemia, Lord, a hangnail, whatever it is, you're there, you love us, you care, and we just ask that you'd pour out your healing power upon your children, Father. You're our gracious, merciful, heavenly Father, and we ask you to pour out your healing upon each one. We pray also for mental and emotional issues. Lord, we just got through talking about the fact that if we will turn to you with everything, that you can relieve us of any and all anxiety, and you can guard our hearts and minds with your peace that passes all understanding. I pray for anyone here this morning struggling with anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, you would just touch their hearts and minds and deliver them and fill them with your peace that passes all understanding, God. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. And we pray for those who may be uh, um, suffering from the side effects of various medications. Lord, we talked about that today and so many things that the world is foisting upon us in the name of health care, but it's really not about health care at all. Lord, for anybody who's been victimized by any of these things, we pray for healing and deliverance in Jesus' name. We pray for relationships that are struggling, strained, or broken. Lord, that you would do a healing work in marriages represented here this morning, whether it's somebody in this room or somebody that we're thinking of right now and hoping and praying can be reconciled. Lord, we know that it's never your will, uh, maybe in extreme cases, but your word says what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So we pray for healing, for relationships, friendships, whether it's family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, or husbands and wives, for healing and restoration. Lord, we pray especially today for anyone that we might know or be connected to that's suffering with this transgender stuff. Lord, that you would deliver them, that you would bind the enemy, that you would cast out any demonic entity involved in leading these people astray, that you would heal their hearts and minds and restore them to their right minds and to the way that you made them and created them. Finally, we pray for finances, Lord. Uh, we thank you that we can count on you. You're our provider. And for those who are struggling, we, again, we ask for peace and comfort and strength, wisdom and guidance on how to manage, Lord, whatever resources we have, whether it be a lot or a little. Lord, it all should be committed and dedicated to you for your use, for your glory. So we ask for your gracious provision. Lord, like it talks about in the book of Proverbs, don't give me so little that I... Uh, Shame your name, Lord, and don't give me so much that I forget about you. We ask your blessings upon each one here today, and we ask you to receive now our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.